0: Amen. Good to see you. Good morning, church. Good morning. Wow. Is it good to be here this morning? Amen. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here. We are looking at Psalm 23, and I want to invite you to take out your Bibles. Everybody, please take a moment, take out your copy of God's Word, and turn to Psalm 23 with one finger. Oh, yeah. I'm going to do that again. And then turn to John chapter 10 with your other finger. Psalm 23 and John chapter 10. And we're looking at this concept of the sheep. And as the Lord is our shepherd, we are then his sheep. There's a lot we can learn about God's intention for our life, about the blessings, the goodness of God, by looking at this dynamic relationship, the shepherd and the sheep. And you're in Psalm 23, but I really want you to scoot over to John chapter 10 In the form of an introduction, I want you to see John chapter 10, Jesus' own words about shepherd and sheep, right? That's the passage where he talks about being the good shepherd, the shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. John chapter 10, and I want to start in verse 7. Let's look at a couple verses here. What we're going to see together this morning, church, what we're going to see is that when Jesus Christ came to the earth, when the Father sent his son Jesus, he came with a mission, There was a very specific purpose that Jesus came, and we might say, well, he came to die on the cross for our sins. Yes, that is absolutely true. That is part of the mission, but that's not all of the mission. We're going to see that in general terms, Jesus came with the intention, now watch this, watch this, with the intention of bringing the goodness of God to man. The grace of God, the love of God, right? All the goodness of who God is, when Jesus came, that was to bring this wrapped up, encapsulated goodness that's, that's in, in the heart of God, and to bring it not just to man, but to us here today. That's to you. And that's what Jesus is speaking about here. John chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus said to them, again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, But the sheep did not hear them. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Mark that phrase right there, if you would. In and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, Now, first of all, let's start here. Jesus said, okay, let me clear it up for you, church. I'm coming. I have come. The purpose of my coming is for this, to bring the goodness of God, to give life. Now, we know that that means eternal life, don't we? Don't we? Because Jesus came for the purpose of dying on the cross, and it's his death on the cross and the shedding of his blood for the remission of our sins that provides everlasting life for those who will trust him, right? I mean, that's the basic Message that's the core of Christianity right there. But but that's life, that's eternal life, that's everlasting life. But he's also referring to something that's more than just going to heaven when you die. He says, I've come that they might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Right? He's speaking about abundant life. There's this idea, this concept of abundancy, or if you if you can just imagine overflowing to the point you can't even contain it any longer, the goodness of God. What is it that's abundant? Life, stay with me, life that only God can provide. You see, he's already giving us an idea of that kind of life. It's the kind of life that we receive by grace, the forgiveness of sins. That's pretty good, right? That's goodness. Only can come from God, that goodness, right? But there's more. There's this idea that even starting right now having trusted christ as our savior that there's so much more available for me in this life because of his goodness are you with me that's the whole concept and now here's what i want to show you now that you know what jesus is talking about in john chapter 10 i want you to see what he holds up in the form of imagery to show abundant life Okay, we're working backwards. John 10, verse 10 said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now working backwards, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What does that imply? That implies that the enemy of God, his purpose, his mission, is to steal, to rob away, deceive us, so that we fail to experience all this goodness of life that God has. Not an everlasting life, right? We already know. Let's, let's make sure we're all doctrinally up to speed here, okay? Oh, by the way, this I'll just tell you right up front, so this will help some of you understand where we're going. We're not getting anywhere close to finishing that outline card this morning, okay? So just, just know that ahead of time. I told Julie last night, I was studying, and praying, and reviewing my notes, and I got so stuck and settled in on this first point that we're going to get to, that I never really made it to point number two. So I thought, well, there's one of two things I can do. I can either rush through it so that we finish the outline, or I can follow the Holy Spirit's leading. So which do you vote that I do? Okay, good. Follow the Holy Spirit's leading. That's what I want to do, because that's really... That's really the only safety we have, right? Is to say, I really believe we're only going to get partway through the first side of your outline card today. And then we'll finish the the rest next week. Is that fair? Is that fair? So just so you know, wow, he's not getting very far this morning. We're not going to end up very far. Okay? So that's why I'm taking my time. Look at what he's saying here. The the thief is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. To take away the goodness. He can't take away everlasting life from those who have trusted Christ. Can he? Can he? No. No, we can't. We are saved by grace. Those who have trusted Christ as personal Savior, listen, you have been, Ephesians 1.13 says, you have been sealed by the Spirit of God. Once you trust him, there is nothing that can take away your salvation. Trust Christ as your Savior. His death, burial, and resurrection for your sins, once you trust and receive and accept that by faith, listen, you are going to heaven whether you like it or not. So just get used to it right now. Okay? That's settled. That's done. But the real question is, how, what am I going to experience in the remainder of this life? It's still possible for a Christian on his or her way to heaven to be robbed of abundant life. To be deceived and to miss it. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, that's what the, th- that's what the enemy wants to do. That's what the thief is coming to do. Now we're backing up one more verse. Jesus said, but here's the contrast of that. You you don't have to worry about that. I am the door, he said. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So now you've entered. You've trusted Christ as your Savior. Now look what happens. And we'll go in and out and find what? Pasture. To, To be a sheep of the flock that belongs to Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, means that we can come in and find pasture. That's not a specific reference to everlasting life, to heaven. That's also a reference, in fact, more specifically a reference to finding rest and peace and joy. Watch this right here, right now. Even when the thief is seeking to break in and kill, steal, and destroy. You see it? It's this idea that we can, we can find refuge. The pasture is this place where sheep go, and they can lay down, and we're going to talk about in a minute what it takes for a sheep to really feel safe enough to lay down. It's really, really very remarkable, but, but the pasture represents that place. It's, it's equivalent, the pasture is equivalent to experiencing the abundance of God's goodness here on earth. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Some of us, you know, I think it's been so long since some of us have experienced the goodness of God that that maybe we're even tempted to sort of give up that there is such a thing. I mean, is it possible to live in the middle of everything that's going on in this world and in my life and still be absolutely at peace with joy in my heart? Yes, it is. That's what we want to see this morning. That not only is it possible, but that is actually the desire of God. That's what he wants us to see in Psalm 23. We might have uncomfortable storms that come through life. We might have upset circumstances that come, just just like you have experienced maybe this week. But it's still possible to have abundant life, to come in and find pasture. So it's that imagery of the sheep finding a rest place in the goodness of God... ...that sets up the stage for us now to go back to Psalm chapter 23... ...and look at verses 1 and 2. Okay? Now, I'm going to be a little bit pesty with you, church... ...because I want us to learn this, okay? I want us to really know it and live it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Some of you are going to go, "Oh, come on, move on. I, I'm going to review real quick, okay? Quiz. Is it true that according to what Jesus teaches... We can equate coming in and finding pasture with the good shepherd Jesus with the abundant life, the goodness of God. Can we equate those two things? Yes. Okay, good. We're all on the same page. We all see that. Now look at Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay? Putting us right back directly in the same context. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We talked about that last time. And then we move to verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now, do you see that beginning to come alive? What does that mean? That's not just the part that we read at funeral services because it's Psalm twenty-three, and we're always supposed to read it, and we just get so used to it that we read right past it. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I really don't know what that means, but it sounds nice, right? No, now we're seeing. Oh, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Green pastures, when it comes to the shepherd providing that for us, is the place of abundant life. It's the place of where all of, if you could just imagine, all that is good in God, all in his heart that that encapsulates and defines what is goodness, the goodness of God, all that we can possibly experience in this life, the abundance of life, is found in that pasture. That's where we find it. And he provides for me. He makes for me to be able to lay down in the abundant life. Why? Because he's the good shepherd. Because ultimately it's the shepherd that leads us to find those places of rest. So a few things about sheep. We're learning a lot about sheep in this study. I've learned a great deal. Did some more reading this week. Uh, sheep are fickle, quirky, skittish very difficult to understand, unpredictable. They're just, we we use the term dumb. Okay, I I know it's a little insulting because the whole point is that we're like sheep. God says that, not Pastor Bud. You understand? But but we can begin to see a lot of the similarities. They, they, They are, sheep need, by nature, they need to be safe, Peaceful and fruitful. That's what, that's what they're always seeking for. That's what they are longing for. If, you, if a shepherd can provide for these three things, he has very happy, very healthy, productive sheep. Their safety, their peace, and their fruitfulness to reproduce. Now, if you think about it, a sheep out in the wild doesn't very often feel all of these three things have a sense of being absolutely safe, being totally, completely peaceful and fruitful, able to to reproduce in safety. In the natural environment, that doesn't happen very often for a sheep. Here's what we learn. Shepherds tell us that sheep will never lie down until they experience all three of these things at once. When a sheep feels safe and senses safety and peaceful and fruitful, able to reproduce... They finally will settle down enough to lay down. But until you can get those three things going at once, and as you can see it's a full-time job for the shepherd, right? Until you can get all three of those things going, there's no way the sheep, unless you come up and push them over, or they fall or trip, is going to lay down in the green pasture. They just need to feel that sense of security, that sense of absolute, lasting, no question about it, peace before they lay down. Then, and only then, will the sheep Lie down. So so in Psalm 23, when he says, listen, you're my sheep and I'm your shepherd, God says, you shall not have want. I will make you to lay down in green pastures. God is saying, I will assume the responsibility for your safety, for your peace, and for your fruitfulness. That's what it means for him to be a good shepherd. I read this week from, again, I've read it several times. I've gone back and read this again because I'm not a shepherd. This is what they say, shepherds. A flock that is restless, disconnected, always agitated, and disturbed never does well. They don't do well. They're not healthy. They're usually, in that case, sick skinny, produce poor wool, and do not bear offspring. When that's the environment they're in, a flock that's restless, disconnected, where they're they're constantly feeling anxiety and having to look out behind their shoulder and wonder, then they don't do well. It affects affects the, the, the wool, it affects their ability to reproduce and be okay, and they end up being sickly, poorly sheep, if you will. So you see, it's in the best interest of a shepherd If the shepherd's goal is to have a healthy flock, and you can look at it even economically, that's the shepherd's goal, right? That's his livelihood. That's his whole identity. All he's consumed with day after day after day is a healthy flock. So if he wants a healthy flock, a shepherd already knows and has a strategy and has a plan. How can I best lead my entire flock so that they're not agitated and disconnected and skittish and afraid all the time so that they would be unhealthy and poor and sick? But how can I provide for them safety, peace, and fruitfulness? That's why he says he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Because the shepherd's responsible for creating that in our lives. Hold on a second, time out. Do you understand what we just said? The profound impact of that truth is staggering. Your God is 100% completely responsible for providing your safety your peace, and your fruitfulness. It rests on him as the shepherd. The shepherd's responsible. He makes that to happen. He organizes and orchestrates and leads and strategizes and does all the thinking ahead of time so that you and I don't have to. The one job of the sheep, church, we're going to see this over and over again, the one job of the sheep is to follow the shepherd. Follow the shepherd. That's how he makes us to lie down in green pastures. Well, shepherds will tell us that in order for a sheep to feel safe, peaceful, and fruitful, four things have to happen. There are basically four requirements. It's well n- known in shepherding, so talk to a shepherd. They'll, they'll agree with you, tell you this. Four things. That they have to be free from four things. We're going to look at one of them today. Okay? One. First of all, the sheep has to feel free from fear. Free from fear. Okay, next week we'll look at free from uh, strife and conflict with one another. Okay? We'll look at free from bugs. We're going to look at that next week. And free from hunger. But this week we're going to look specifically at this idea of being there has to be a freedom from all fear in order for them to lie down. Are you catching it? Are you catching it? So what, is, what does that imply? It tells us, first of all, that the shepherd is responsible for those things that we might be afraid of. Okay. Now, sheep are, we talked about it earlier, sheep are skittish. Uh, you know the thing about sheep, the funny thing about sheep is they're always afraid of the wrong thing. They're not afraid of the things they should be oftentimes, but they're afraid of everything else on the planet. So, you know, if they see the wolf and, and they see the enemy, of course they're, they're going to be scared. Just, that's obvious. But there are plenty of telltale signs of danger that they ignore. They don't see. But, but when the sun sets and it goes from light to dark, that scares sheep. They're afraid of the change in light. A sound, even off in the distance, will freak them out, scare them. A sheep standing next to another sheep that burps will scare them. You think I'm kidding. It's a true story. Indigestion from the sheep next to them will cause one to be anxious and scared, or maybe even spread through the whole flock. They're, they're extreme. A noise, a, a sudden movement, something off in the distance. And, and the funny thing is, sheep will follow other sheep right off the edge of a cliff, one after the other. Okay? That's not fearing the right thing. Okay? But lead them down a gentle slope to a nice brook where they can find fresh water, and they're scared to death. Right? So, so sheep very clearly, not, they're not the only creature on the planet to fear the wrong things, but they're the most obvious. It's the most clear and evident because it's so dramatic in their fear of everything. That's the way sheep are. And so many times, afraid of the wrong things. By the way, What are you afraid of? What causes fear in your life? When are you agitated and unsettled and anxious? To where when you sit down, there's no peace, lasting peace. Come on, church. Let's 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 dig in deep here, okay? I'm I'm not gonna do all the work this morning. I'll work hard, but you gotta work with me, okay? Dig. What in your life? You gotta find this. Where are the times where you are really genuinely, uncertainly afraid about something in your life? Circumstances, relationships, finances. Hello, now now we're getting somewhere. Okay, right? The future, career, groceries, college students, spouse, future children current children. How about grandchildren? Am I in the right place? Right? We are like sheep. We are constantly driven by fear from being unsettled, able to lie down, watch this, and finally be able to experience the goodness of abundant life because we're being robbed through fear. And that's not the shepherd's intention. That's not his will for our lives. You see, what we're going to learn is this. Just like the sheep is so obviously misplaced his fear right you think you know he's so afraid of that little clicking sound next to him and the shepherds right there and you and I would say look sheep don't be dumb you don't need to be afraid that's silly you're wasting energy and the shepherd's saying the same thing in some of our lives hey listen don't don't waste your energy on that don't fear i'm the good shepherd your safety is my responsibility. Sheep fear. It, it takes something specific for sheep to be at ease. I, I would like maybe maybe sometime you'll have the chance to ask shepherds if this is really true. I have, and I've learned that nine out of ten will tell me this is true. What's the one thing that will provide the most ease for shepherds when they're fearful? I mean for sheep. Excuse me, for sheep when they're fearful. When sheep are afraid, shepherd, what's the one thing you can always rely on to calm their fears, to relax them? That's right. That's what it is. It's the shepherd's presence. Regardless of what is going on, even if it's a valid concern for them possibly to be afraid, when they sense the shepherd's presence, they are at peace. They, they, they begin to relax. They begin to have a sense of, of safety that they're going to be okay. Turn to Psalm chapter 23. See if I can help this week. I, I sense maybe some of us are struggling with fear this week in our lives. F- fear about the, the unknown, the future, whatever it is. Psalm 34, this is, by the way, the same author. This is David writing Psalm again. Remember, David's the author of Psalm 23 because he's a shepherd. He knows shepherding. He is one. And, and this is Psalm 34. Now, now, this is an interesting context, guys. David's writing Psalm 34 when he's pretending madness before Abimelech. Now, if you remember, two weeks ago, we actually turned to this passage and we saw when the Lord removed all these things from his life. He had no want because he still trusted in the Lord. You remember? One of the, he removed everything. He, he couldn't rely on his wife. He couldn't rely on his friend. He couldn't rely on anybody. And even, he couldn't even rely on his past history. Remember? We showed how he went back. And the Philistines, had, had he, was, he was in their enemy, in enemy territory. And he had to pretend he was insane, foaming at the mouth so they wouldn't feel threatened by him. I mean, how low had, had he gotten? That's, that's when he wrote this psalm, 34, okay? So, so there he is in that state of mind. Look in verse 4. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Church, let, let these words nourish your faith. Let this truth help you to rest in the good shepherd's provision of your safety and protection. Now, now, understand the context here. David had every human reason to be afraid. He was running for his life. Okay, Most of us would say we would tend to be afraid in that circumstance as well. There's valid concerns. Okay, We're not so silly to fear some of these things. But it, but it says it's possible then, even though the circumstances did not change, to still have this temperament. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. How did that happen? Well, you see it in verse 4. He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me. Seeking. What do we do in times of fear? What do we do when fear is pressing in? When our joy, our peace is robbed, where there's no sense of being settled and being okay. We're agitated, uncertain about the future, right? What do we do? The first thing we do, like David learned, is we seek the Lord. He said, I sought the Lord. I looked after him. Folks, you got to understand, let's put some feet to this. It's very practical. What does it mean to seek the Lord in my life? It doesn't mean just acknowledge that I'm a Christian and of course I believe and follow Jesus and I have that little fish symbol on my bumper sticker. That's not what it means. It means stop what you're doing. Whatever you're doing that's causing you to be wrapped up in fear, stop. Pause. Put it down. Fixate on the Lord Jesus Christ. Take what you were looking to and gaze upon instead the character and the promises and the stories and the ways and the history of the Lord Jesus in your life. It takes some actual seeking. Guys, we've got we to actually seek the Lord with our life. We have to actually sometimes bow or kneel or rest and pray and ask him and cry out like David did. Lord, show me. Where are you? Here's a storm brewing. Here's a potential danger. The enemy's closing in. I'm isolated. I'm, I'm abandoned. I've been betrayed. I don't know what it is. That I, I sense I don't have what I need to be safe. Stop. Lord, where are you? What are you doing? What do you see right now? Yeah, I, I, I promise you, church, wherever you are right now experiencing fear, if you will stop, kneel, and pray, if you will ask the Lord this question, you'll be halfway there. Look for him, but ask this question. Lord, what do you see right here? What do you, Could you imagine if the sheep was intelligent enough to turn to the shepherd when he's scared and say, shepherd, what do you see? And you know, the shepherd having so much more perspective. What if he was able to say, I see much farther than you can see sheep. It's okay, rest. I mean, that's all it would take. Or or I see an enemy that's at the door, but, but understand that I stand between the enemy and you, and you can rest. You don't even have to look. You just stay right where I put you. You just stay right here next to me. Seek the Lord. Fixate on him. It's amazing what we don't do when we're afraid. We keep life as usual. We still watch several hours of TV or spend several hours doing the meaningless things that some of us do in life. Stop. Look for him. Don't rest until you find him. Here's what you can do, church, in your time of fear. Focus on the promises of God. What has he promised me? What is he telling me in his word? What, What do his promises say? If his promise says this, how does that promise affect what I'm looking at right here in my life? When you begin to do that, when you begin to focus on those things and take refuge in his word and his promises, that is equivalent to seeking the Lord in your life. And, and when you seek him, listen, you're a sheep. When you seek him, he will be found. I sought the Lord, and he heard me. Isn't that interesting? I sought him with his eyes, he heard me with his ears. He heard my cry. He heard my plea. He answered. And then it says, and he delivered me from all my fears. Do you believe God's word? Do you believe that the Lord, if he's the good shepherd, can literally deliver us from all of our fears? If you will find him, if you will fixate on him, if you will ruminate in his promises and seek him, he will deliver you from your fears. No matter what the circumstance. Even if it's dangerous. It takes, um, guys, a life of abundance The abundant life takes a life of trust. It really does. It it sounds easy at first because all I have to do is trust him. That's like saying, all you have to do is follow him, sheep. That's all you have to do. But it's hard for us because we're like sheep and we tend to wander. And we tend to get scared on our own. And we have to keep coming back to this truth. Remember, listen, you're sheep. That's your tendency. But the shepherd says, if you will seek me and find me and trust me. Look what it says there in verse Eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm going to come back to that in a second. He says, blessed is the man who trusts in him. Let me show you. You know what it means to trust in him? You seek him, you find him. Now, you trust in him. You know what it means? It means this. You know that the good shepherd, okay, how many agree? All The good shepherd is God himself. Amen? All right, so we know that he's capable of anything, right? There's no limit to what God can do. That's how great God is. We we saw that remember in the video, how awesome, how wonderful, how vast awesome He is, right? That's God. That's the good shepherd. So, here's trusting him means he can, he can one of two things in your circumstances. He can change the circumstances and save you. Literally, sometimes the shepherd will come along and swoop up a sheep and pick him up and carry him to safety. He can do that in your life. He can chase away the wolf, the enemy. God's sovereign He's perfectly capable of doing that in your life. Sometimes he will change. When you cry out and you seek him, he will orchestrate, change, divinely intervene in your circumstances, and he will protect you and save you. Sometimes he can do that, trusting him to do that. Or the other choice is he can choose not to change one single part of your circumstances and simply show you what he sees. You mean there's no reason to fear if I see what he sees? There's no reason to fear if I view my circumstances, watch this, through God's perspective instead of my own. You see it? One of those two things, either one will bring peace. Whether he changes the circumstances and delivers you, or whether he shows you what he sees, that there's no real need for fear, either one brings peace. Now watch. Watch this, church. Here's what trust is. Trust is leaving it up to him to determine which one he's going to do. I will orchestrate, change your circumstances, I will deliver you physically, change things, or I will show you my heart. I will show you what I see, my perspective, and that will bring peace. Either way, the result is no more fear. You see it? you, Church, you can't Find that on your own. It only comes from seeking the shepherd. And then putting your trust, your faith in the shepherd. And when you do, you experience the goodness of God. The abundant life that he has for us. In and out to find pasture. Look at the verse. first part of that verse. Verse 8, it said, blessed is the man who trusts in him. You with me? You see it? Put your finger right there if you're there in verse 8. Put your finger. Blessed is the man who who trusts in him. You got your finger right there? Now, look at the first part of that verse, just above there. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is? That's the goodness of God. Is it, but you got, you got to taste it. you got to trust. You have to look to him. You know, it's funny. Um, it never fails when I get guys around me that are friends and maybe staff, and we, we relax and have fun with each other. We always end up talking about food. You guys have friend, social circles like that, friends? It seems like, you know, whenever we're, there's a, nobody knows what to talk about, we go back to talking about food, and we make fun of it, and we talk about the things we like and the things we don't like It's one of those common conversations, you know. Getting to the point now where with my staff, I'm beginning, I already know some of the things they don't like. Some of them, like Tom, likes everything. Pastor Tom, you put it in front of him, he eats it. Then there are others on the staff, and they shall remain nameless, who are very picky and won't eat. There are certain things they don't like. I can be kind of picky sometimes, right? Um, For a long time, church, I'm going to be vulnerable And admit my stupidity before you, okay? For a long time, I hated cottage cheese. Hated it. Could not stand cottage cheese. And it occurred to me one day, you know, talking about food with friends. Looking back, it occurred to me, somebody asked me, have you ever tried it? (laughs) No. I really had never even tasted it. Isn't it funny, you know, how is it that you can so despise a food and you've never actually even tasted it? And I had to actually think about it. Well, and here's my response. Uh, Maybe Have you ever looked at it? Right? I mean, who who decided one day that something that looked like that was edible? It's kind of like oysters and clams. Anybody like oysters and clams or clams, either one? What's wrong with you people? <laughs> Seriously, go back in history. Who was the first guy, the first time they ever cracked open one of those shells and looked at it and said, Mmm, that looks like something that would taste good. <laughs> who was that guy? What was he thinking? It looks like snot. <laughs> Seriously, right? It looks, if I was a caveman back in those days and I opened it, I'd say, this looks like something we can use as lubricant between between two stones so that they, you know, I don't know. Who sneezed on my clam? It's gross. I know I probably eat some things that other people think are gross, but, but that was my thing with cottage cheese. You just look at it and you think, hmm, it looked like a seagull flew over and, right? I'm sorry, it just jiggles like, I remember when I was in high school, we'd come home after two day's football practice and you were so thirsty and whatever was in the fridge, you know, and there was that time where I grabbed a half gallon of milk and just drank half the thing down before I realized it was way out of date. And then, right, it all came spilling out. Curdled milk? Okay, that's what cottage cheese looked like to me. And I couldn't get past the appearance. I couldn't get past what I thought. But, but at some point in my marriage, Julie forced me to eat it. And she put some fruit over the top of it to make it look nicer. And I'm going to tell you what. It tastes pretty good. I'm a fan. Today, I love cottage cheese. Put all yeah. See? I can, I can change. I can grow. Uh, I, like, I love it all different ways, right? Here's here's the point. You cannot always rely on your perceptions, the appearance of things, when it comes to fear. You cannot rely on your own past experiences all the time. You can't rely upon what other people are telling you or have told you. Those are not always reliable sources of dissolving fear in our lives. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's where fear dissipates. That's where fear dissolves and falls away. When we know, because why? Because I've stepped out and trusted. Jesus said it's okay, and I trust him, and I know, and therefore I've experienced his goodness as a result, is tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Knowing the abundant life of being able to live without fear. Because we follow closely to the shepherd. His ways are good. We can't judge by appearance, folks. I know it's tempting, but we just... I think, you know, if I were to go back and sum this whole series up in one phrase, here's what I want us to keep seeing. You're only sheep. Don't try to be the shepherd in your life. That's the goodness of God, is He loves us and cares for us, to such a degree that He has created and allowed this shepherd sheep relationship with us, so that we can find the freedom of fear and lay down in pastures when we follow Him, when we trust Him. Now, truthfully, there are threats in life, aren't there? There are things that threaten our safety. Those aren't made up; they're real. So I want to take a look at those because sometimes um, those of us that are facing serious crisis or, or there's something big going on, it, it's harder to see these things. I want to help walk you through this. And this is, this is the extra bit that I, that I wanted to look at today. Turn in your Old Testament to Second Chronicles and I want to look at these threats that bring fear. How do we seek the Lord and trust Him, taste and see that the Lord is good? When the threat is real, the threat is severe. There's, there's pending danger, and the danger, it's not trivial. Does it appear trivial to me? Maybe, but, but it, it's significant in my life. Because I want to I validate for you guys. Let's just, can we just say this together, admit this? There are real, valid, legitimate reasons for fear in our life, Right? And until we see the shepherd's perspective, we are going to fear those things. No doubt. There's just no taking that away. And I'm turning back to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. There's a guy, one of the kings of the southern kingdom. Israel has been divided into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom. One of the great kings of the southern kingdom, Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a king who did seek the Lord. He was a godly king. And The circumstances here are he's the leader of the southern kingdom, and they face an imminent threat, the enemy. Three different people groups that are all enemies of Israel have allied together, built an alliance, and come against Jehoshaphat and the Jewish people of the southern kingdom. They're way outnumbered. They're overwhelmed in technology. They're a ragtag group of God's people. There's every reason on the planet for them and him as the king to really be afraid here okay now we pick up the story chapter 20 i just want to read there in verse 3 20 and verse 3 jehoshaphat feared everybody see that jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the lord there, there it is right there because he was afraid there was legitimate concern. His response was he sought the Lord. He set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem and in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? What is he doing? Reviewing the promises of God. Looking to the character of God. What is God? Who does he claim he is? How do we know him to be true? He's he's seeking God right here. He's doing exactly what we talked about. Verse 7. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? And gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? You see it? What's he doing? Are you not the same God? Your promise was to Abraham that through his seed, through his descendants, you would bless the earth. You promised this land. You promised protection. You promised for us to lie down in green pastures. And yet what I see is something that threatens that reality and that truth. So what am I doing? I'm seeking you, Lord. I'm bringing it back to you. Skip down to verse 10. And and now... Here are the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, three different people groups, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But, our eyes are upon you. Guys, you understand. The very reason they are exactly where they are. Okay, where are they again? In danger. Imminent threat. It's real, it's legitimate, it's not made up. And they see it. They are there in that situation because God told them to be there. You see it? What, what they're saying is, when we came in here and inherited this land, God, you were, you were telling us to, to wipe out people, the enemy. But these are the people you told us not to kill. These are the ones you said leave alone. And now, because we left them alone, now they've gathered together and they've built an alliance against us. And now here they are. In other words, what are they saying? I'm in a dangerous situation because I followed you, because we did what you told us to do. But nevertheless, our eyes are upon you. There's so much to learn here, church. I hope you can apply this to your life. Here's the threat. But what if this happens? And I don't know what I would do if this has to occur. What if I'm not able to do this? What if this hurts? What if I'm lonely? What if this relationship goes sour and and this person betrays me like somebody else? The person, Lord, that you led me to serve and to fellowship with. What happens if because I trusted you and, and spent my time serving it upward instead of putting in extra hours of overtime, what if, what if we're not able to pay the bills now? And we take our eyes in that context, in that moment, and we continue to fix our eyes on God. You called me here. You are the God that promised to provide And to bless. You promised to give me your goodness. Verse 15, God answers. And he said, Listen, all of you, Judah, and all you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you do not be afraid, nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them, and they will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. You'll find them at the end of the brook before you at the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle, verse 17 says. Look what he says. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. I love this. Church, I love this passage. This This is God's letter to us, Right? It's an account of a history in Israel, but it's also his, his character he's revealing to us. Here's what it means that I'm your, I'm your shepherd and you're my sheep. Here's what it means. It means when you follow me, even when you follow me into places that look like they're going to be dangerous, because you will, keep your eyes focused on me, trust in my provision. And he says, the battle doesn't even belong to you. All that Je- Jehoshaphat had to do was to position himself. What does that mean? Put him in a place where he can continue to see God. And the record is that God came in himself and wiped out the enemy. You see, guys, church, God knew ahead of time he was going to do that. Right? So if God knew ahead of time that he was going to wipe out their enemy when they got to that point, of course, from his perspective, because he's looking at it from eternity, He's looking at it from a sovereign, divine perspective, already knowing that what he is going to do. Of course there's no reason for fear. Just look at it from God's perspective for a minute. Look, cheat. look, Israel, look, you, your family, you're right here. I already know I'm going to take care of that. It's already under control. I see it. I know it. How, how foolish to spend all of your time fearfully preparing for the battle when all you have to do is look right here. Look at me. I got news for you. It's a whole lot easier to keep seeking Jesus than to fight your own battles. Somebody ought to write that down. That sounds pretty good. It's a whole lot easier. The battle doesn't belong to you. Listen, when you are the sheep of the Lord's pasture, when you belong to him, he is 100% responsible for your safety. Now, are there times where we wander off? Mm -hmm. Like sheep, are there times when we sort of get away from the shepherd and then we get into trouble? And then, listen, there's some consequences sometimes to that, isn't there? He doesn't always protect us from the consequences of wandering. He's not obligated to do that. Sometimes He does by His grace. But sometimes He allows the consequences. Sometimes sometimes we do suffer and we do fall and we do trip based on our own choices of wandering. But listen, here's God's goodness. Here's God's grace. No matter where you are, no matter what's going on in your life, you are only one step away from the goodness of God. It might be repentance. It might be returning to Him. It might be taking your eyes off the circumstances and again fixing your gaze on His goodness. Right? But you're you're only that step away because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. The shepherd leads his sheep to green pastures. But don't ever forget, don't ever forget, sometimes the journey to get to the green pasture is through the valley of the shadow of death. And God will lead us through circumstances and through journeys that if we're not focused on Him and staying close to Him will look scary to us. You know why? Because God is always seeking for opportunities in your life to show how great He is. And how on earth is He ever going to show how great He is if there aren't times where, in absolute desperation, we reach up to Him and call out to Him and He delivers us by His own great hand? You see? So He's going to lead us to those places as a church, as a people, as families. To show us His goodness. To show us His greatness. They're going to come. But He always leads us to places of green pasture. Where we can come in knowing that we're safe, at peace, and we can be fruitful. That's what it means. When a sheep is free from fear, he's finally able to lay down and experience the abundance of God's goodness. Let's pray. We go to the Good Shepherd to pray this morning, church. Father, we're your sheep, each one of us. We're your flock. We don't trust anything else in this world, God. To lead us and provide for us and keep us safe. We trust in you. This morning, as you're praying, I, I wonder if there's anyone here, and perhaps you haven't trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I, you feel like a, a sheep out there, lost, wayward, with no shepherd, no flock. The good news is God sent His only Son to die on the cross so that you can receive the forgiveness of your sins. And come into his flock, receive eternal life and all the abundant life that he has for you. And if you will trust him and accept that right now, he will save you from your sin. If you'd like to do that, I'll lead you through this prayer. Just between you and God, cry out to him like this. Father, I know that I'm a sinner and my own sin prevents me from getting to you. I'm wandering. But I choose my faith. faith to put my trust in you, Lord Jesus. Your death on the cross is a payment for my sins and I accept forgiveness freely. Come into my life. I want to be your sheep. For all of us who consider ourselves to be the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we're afraid some of us there's fear in our life because of this or that this morning we just want to fix our attention on you that's the response time this morning If, if God is leading you this morning speaking to your heart about letting go of fear looking beyond outside of the circumstances that you face the situation you're in and you'd like to just simply like King Jehoshaphat seek the Lord this morning I'm going to invite you to come The altar this morning, whether you come and sit, kneel, stand, pray, whatever you do, the altar is a place of seeking the Lord this morning. All of us as sheep need to seek Him. Is God speaking to your heart? If He is, just come spend a few moments. Do something like stand to your feet and walk forward and come seek the Lord, that He may be found. God speaking to your heart, you come. eyes off this thing. Whatever it is, this unknown, this potential. I want to know beyond any shadow of a doubt when I leave this morning that this battle belongs to you and not me. Call me to yourself. me what you see. Give me your mind and your perspective that I would know what it means to rest. you're my shepherd your word says that if you're my shepherd I shall not want I don't need to worry I place my trust in you Lord you, you lead me it is well it is safe it is good Trust you. Thank you for dying for us, Lord, and giving us eternal life. And thank you for abundant life. You're a good God. We worship you this morning, we love you and praise you. Amen. Amen. I hope and I pray God speaks to your heart. I know, I know that there's a lot of things in life, a lot of things around us that potentially could rob us of that peace, and don't let it, church. Don't let it, because we belong to the good shepherd, and we don't need to. I want to call your attention to that response card. Would you take that out? Make sure everybody grab hold of one of those, if you would. This is a card that gives every single one of us, whether we're a visitor, a tender, or member, a chance to write a response out to God. If, if you saw what you saw this morning in Scripture, if God was speaking that to your heart, what would you say back to him? Write that on your response card. Lord, thank you. Lord, I praise you. Help me. Whatever it is, along with your other prayer requests, and maybe you would check one of those boxes on the response card, you prayed to receive Jesus with me, or you're interested in baptism. Whatever it is, your response. And I'm going to ask the guys that are going to help with the offering to come forward at this time. We'll take these response cards and put them in the offering plate as our offering to the Lord. We're giving Him a response of obedience, and that's a gift to God. And then also I want to encourage you to be faithful to tithes and offerings, to give that as an offering as well. God has blessed us so richly, all of us. And um, in a manner that's worthy of God, you put your offering in the offering plate as an act of worship. Pastor Joe, would you lead us in prayer? Shall we pray? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, he is my shepherd. We shall not fear. Thank you, Father, for all the blessings that you give to us and now, lord we're expecting more as we give more to you and lord in that vein we ask now that you would bless the offering from each one bless our hearts oh god we ask it in jesus name amen